Hey folks, this is Always Be Watching. It's our regular podcast where, you know what this is about. The name that's right there on the name of the podcast. It's about what we've been watching. Ah, oh, Chris. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm spelling it out for the people. My name is Dan Barrow. I'm joined here by Chris Yates. It's great to see you again, Dan. Chris, have you been watching TV this week? You know, I've been watching a little bit of TV this week. Not as much as you, I don't think. I have watched so much TV in the last couple of weeks, it's been crazy. And Chris, here's the thing. Usually this works with, I'll talk about something, you'll talk about something, I'll talk about something, you'll talk about something, end of podcast. Yep. Introduce like closing music. I'm doing four, th- oh, no, three things this week. There's going to be five shows all up we're going to talk about. So we're going to go fast, we're going to talk quickly. Keeping it tight. And uh, we're going to start by me saying, Dan, what have you been watching? Chris, if you're anything like me, you've been thinking, look, it's been 50 years since man landed on the moon. Oh, I have been thinking about that, actually. We all have been, because it's a really big, monumental thing. It's a big deal. I was born in 1980. To my mind, people walked on the moon, like, forever before I was born, but it was only 11 years. It wasn't that much earlier than that, really. No, absolutely. Uh, Like, I see photos of myself as, like, a little tyke. I bet you you were cute. Oh, adorable, Chris. (laughs) Adorable. (laughs) But I look at photos of myself, and then I look at photos of people watching the shuttle taking off and this sort of thing, and the fashion's not, like, wildly that different. No, that's true. And it's just weird watching this thing, and obviously it's a bit different, because, like, the late 60s versus 1980, there are fashion changes that have taken place. But, like, over 10 years, there's always out-of-date, unfashionable people. Yes. Yeah, and myself... And why are you, looking, like, at, why are you looking at me like that? That's because no. you're across from me. I would never dare suggest <laughs> such a thing. Of course. But ultimately... I kind of felt while I was watching Apollo 11, which Mm. is a brand new feature film that's out right now, that shows you previously unseen footage of the moon launch, the moon launch, the shuttle launch to get people to the moon and the actual journey to the moon and being on the moon and coming back. It's an amazing documentary. And watching all this footage, I was just like, I feel really connected to this in a way that I haven't previously. Part of the connection was because I appreciate it's only 11 years. But the other thing is that because there's the way this documentary is structured is it's 70 millimeter footage that uh-huh. they've found, which is to give like a bit of an idea. When you go to the movies and see like a regular film, back in the day when they actually had film that they were using, most films are projected as 35 millimeter. Yep. 70 millimeter is effectively the same as, it's not quite the same as IMAX, but IMAX is like a 70 millimeter variant. Oh, wow. So if you think about like the big. size of an IMAX screen. Yeah. But think about that IMAX screen, like, squeezed down to your TV size, which is how I watched Apollo 11. Yeah. Okay, you're looking at, like, some amazingly crisp, just beautiful footage. Wow. Like, this is footage of the moon, that, like, the moon, you know, um, journey, excursion, yes. that you've excursion. never seen things look this good before. And what they do is they just assembled all this footage to show you a narrative from... I'm going to go with Buzz Aldrin first. Mm-hmm. Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong and Michael Collins as they put on like their space their space attire, yeah, their safari suits in Pinewood. In Pinewood, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> with Stanley Kubrick filming, yeah, yeah, yeah. Put on their suits and then walk over to get in there, and you see like you know as they walk out of this room and then everyone sort of you know supporting them. You see everyone in Mission Control, but you don't just see the photos of Mission Control with everyone going hooray and you know people looking yes. tense there. But they've got this footage of people just sort of sitting there because it took three days to get from blast off to the moon and then back. Like, there's a lot of sitting around and just, like, general busy work that people are doing during that time. And so you're seeing that. You're actually seeing the scope of just how many people are working to get these guys to the moon and back. And you're seeing them as they actually are. You're seeing real people. 
Like, these aren't just sort of, yeah, you know, yeah. the idea of, oh, there were people in mission control. This is Steve, uh, Jonesy, and Fred, these three guys that are sitting there, all in, like, their mid to late 20s, like, no old people working on it, because there was no experience to get people on yeah, there sure. at that point. It's all, like, new technology. Yes. So it's, like, largely just, like, young dudes. And they're all there, just, like, as real people. It's phenomenal, Chris. It would have been tough in that downtime, because computers back then weren't even um, strong enough to have solitaire. <laughs> so. No, well, the... <laughs> The power of the device I was using to stream yeah, is, the movie yeah. was more than it took to get people on the moon. That's interesting. So, this film, it's directed by a guy named Todd Douglas Miller. Uh, he got footage from NASA. He got footage from the National Archives and Records Administration. Him and his team, they assembled all this footage. And it's just incredible. It's playing in cinemas in Australia. So, it should still be playing in theatres this week. Oh, great. Okay, so you can go and catch it like your Dendy and Palace. It's, you know, because it's the anniversary this week. It's really yes. easy to see. Made for CNN in the US, so it's been playing on CNN nonstop for the last couple of days. Right. But yeah, it's just incredible. I got my phone out and messaged my dad, which we don't really text. It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a too friendly a relationship. Sure. Uh, but I sent him a message saying, check out this film. Like, it's just incredible. And I guarantee any... It's hard to sell this because everyone's seen Moon yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just seems so lame. But because of just the quality of this film footage and just the way that this is assembled, like, probably the most notable thing I saw was as, you know, they're getting into the launch uh, launch pad to take off and, you know, all that's happening. They're showing all the footage of the tens to hundreds of thousands of people watching on around Florida who can see it in the distance. Yeah, sure. And there's just like this great sort of video footage of a person in a Krispy Kreme truck of whom is like selling coffee to people who are waiting. And it was just that thing of just seeing these real life people in beautiful crisp footage yeah. of whom are just about to experience this thing. It just brought the humanity to it in a way that I've never seen. This is a really interesting point because um, this... This happens a lot with music documentaries and stuff. You know, I watch a lot of music documentaries. But often it's the incidental stuff that gets captured of the street life, of the um, people just going about their business, which doesn't actually get captured in any other real way. Like, nobody's out there going, oh, we should just make a documentary about what it's like to walk around the streets of (laughs) Sydney in 2019. Absolutely. But when there's something that's a little bit of a focus and a feature, then all of that extra stuff just becomes so much more valuable and so much more interesting. But the thing that kind of lays this extra level over the top is that for all of my life, I've seen the same footage of Neil Armstrong taking those first steps on the moon. Yeah. Okay. But I've never seen the footage to the extent that I have now of them actually getting to the moon and not just seeing the guys there in the craft, but also seeing just uh, like we've seen footage of when the ship leaves like Earth's atmosphere and you see like the uh, boosters like fall away. Yeah. We've seen that kind of stuff before, but there's footage from inside Wow. The thing as you see that break away like it's just incredible wow i can't wait to watch it um yeah. that sounds right up my alley but yeah totally worthwhile and it doesn't have talking heads or any of that sort of business it is just purely an assemb- assembly of video footage wow or film footage from the time so you sound pretty impressed with this but uh i know how impressed you were with um the ed harris movie the right stuff <laughs> is it does it compare to that okay quietly i've never actually seen the right stuff <laughs> really no <laughs> so i was talking to a good friend of mine fiona the other week the other week it was like on the weekend and i said to her hey look tonight i'm gonna watch like some moon stuff like what do you think i should watch and she's like you've seen the right stuff right and i'm like i haven't and it was settled that that's what i'd do but then i found apollo 11 i'm like okay now this is what i've got to watch all right so we can still have a date watch of the right stuff absolutely that would be fun yeah okay excellent so cinemas uh, it's in cinemas now, but if you've got like sneaky like US things, or if you're in the US, you can <laughs> yes. watch it via CNN's app. Excellent. So CNN funded the whole thing. G- good on you, CNN. Yeah. 
Anyway, Chris, you've probably watched some stuff. I have watched a thing. It's surprising that I don't think we've done it before. Let's hope not. I have watched a uh, the first episode of a new series of a Comedians in Cars Get Coffee. You know that you not doing stand-up drives people crazy. You know that, right? The last time I saw Don Rickles, and uh, Rickles was like maybe a month or two before he passed away, and he just just went on and on and on like that. Like you know, Really? Like you have to do stand-up again. You have to. Uh, it's been on and on about it. Like, wow. I'm going to do it again. It was really? Just, yeah, I just had to, you know, everything has to be right. I got to get up there and start working out. Really? I have to get up and work. The only way you could get like an act is I got to go to the clubs and work out. Yeah, I'm going to do that again. You still got to go to the comedy club. You still got to go to, you could have your own club. So you should buy the comic strip and I, I'll come work out there. You, you, you want to do that, I'll do it. I'll call it Jerry Seinfeld's comic strip. <laughs> I know you're familiar with this show, Dan. Uh, what's the name of the dude? Jerry Steinfeld? Jerry Steinbeck is yeah. back. Um, Jerome Steinfeld. So, of course, there's this really funny thing happening with Jerry Seinfeld where, you know, he doesn't actually want to commit to doing anything because he knows that he's a sh- shallow uh, imitation of himself without Larry David putting the words <laughs> in his mouth. Uh, so he just keeps doing these things that e- either explore his past or explore this, like, weird sort of conversational vibe that he he gets going. For some reason, I think it's just because when I grew up, because of how much I watched Seinfeld, because of the impact it's had on me, no matter what he does, I am compelled to watch it. It's something I just cannot look away from, much like the picture of Kramer in the uh, show itself. Uh, so I will continue to torture myself by watching every single thing that Jerry Seinfeld does. How do you feel about that kind of stuff? Look, I am totally okay with it. So I actually really appreciate where Seinfeld's coming from when he looks at his career now. Basically, he's only ever really liked doing two things professionally. He liked doing his sitcom. Yep. He loves doing stand-up. Yeah. So he's just looking at it saying, I don't need to work. Yeah. He he's doesn't want to so do so much money. He it's clearly really doesn't want to do movies or anything like that. Doesn't want to do movies. Because he says he's a terrible actor. Yes. Okay. So why does he want to just like there's a badly of, doing that? And there's when, plenty of evidence of that in the show. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, why bother doing anything else? But he likes having chats with friends. He loves cars. So he's just merging those. Totally. And it's really interesting how he gives away various... I find it really fascinating how you see little insights into his personality and, like, you know, he's so disconnected from the real world in a lot of ways as being this man who's been rich for a very long time. He'll also admit to that, though. Yeah, definitely. And... That's interesting in itself. What else is interesting is how he uh, relates with other people. I read this scathing, you know, cut down of the show where it talks about the way he, um, you know, uh, makes fun of the weight stuff and things in various, you know, talks down to the service stuff and all this kind of stuff. And it's very funny because it's exactly the same kind of snark that I would argue made him very successful and very popular in Seinfeld. But also the thing is that it's not uh, comedians in cars having heartfelt conversations while drinking coffee. No, it's, it's, it's two the- comedians of whom are trying to find the funniest thing they could talk about. And often that comes from just being a bit nasty and a bit cruel. Have you seen the list of people who are in this next season? It's very cool. No, but I just wanted to add on that sort of thing about just nastiness. Yes. They'll be, you know, a little bit sort of nasty to the wait staff. And they're not like, you know, too overtly nasty. They'll just say like a few snide things here and every so often. But they always leave sizable tips. Yeah, that's right. The best, well, the one I read that, that they were really giving him a hard time about was uh, they were at a sandwich shop and the, um, 
Jerry said, uh, check out this guy. It looks like they made the sandwich out of his face. Which uh, is like, I haven't even seen the guy, but that's obviously very funny. Anyway, um, the list of the people in the new, uh, in the new season of, uh, there's some interesting ones. Um, Ricky Gervais pops up twice. Yeah. Of course, you need that. I'm okay. Um, we'll probably, I might skip those ones too. Uh, Ferris Bueller's in there, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, but the first episode is. I think Ferris Bueller also had like a manslaughter issue with a. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm hoping they make some jokes about that. Yeah. About. Fingers crossed. The people that Matthew Broderick um, killed while drunk driving. Um, but the, uh, uh, the the first episode uh, I, was, I got very excited about, and this is why I started watching it, is none other than Eddie Murphy. See, and this is incredible. Eddie Murphy is back in a big way. He's popping up everywhere. Yeah, so he's really like one of the biggest stand-ups that stand-up comedy's ever had. And he hasn't done it for, what, 30 years? Exactly. He went took a 30-year break from stand-up comedy. He's coming back. He's also taken a massive gap from making good movies. <laughs> he has taken a little bit of a break from making good movies. I think we uh, we could all agree that uh, Beverly Hills Cop 3 was the last good Eddie Murphy movie. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, but he, he hasn't really had a career where he's been funny. And so, for him to appear on a show called Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, okay. I think is actually a pretty big... Like it's a big thing. It's a big thing. So no spoilers, but there's some um, very interesting stuff that uh, Ricky sa- oh, that Ricky says that Jerry says straight away that I uh, was quite shocked to hear, especially when you think about the timelines of how both of their careers rolled out. Yeah, they both debuted at the comic strip uh, on July in July 1976 on the same night. Wow! They both did their first comedic stand-up thing. That's good trivia, right? Yeah. What about that third guy that also debuted that <laughs> night? Yeah, they didn't do too good. Um, but then they actually, and their stand-up careers went side by side. And there was a very, um, there was a, uh, a uh, Jerry had a handbill from a '79 show that had both of them on it, and um, Gilbert Gottfried and a few other really funny <laughs> ones on there too. Uh, where everyone's names were spelt wrong, which was really interesting. But um, you could, it's a, it certainly doesn't feel like those two came from the same era. Like you would, I would always put Seinfeld ten years later. As yeah. far as obviously Eddie got very big very quickly. Part of that though is just the screen exposure. So while yeah. Eddie Murphy would have been on SNL in like eighty four. I get yeah, good oh, guess. I'd, I'd say. say it's like eighty four, eighty five. Yeah, because Beverly Hills Cop would have been eighty five ish, something like that, wouldn't it? Yeah, because he only did like one year or something, wasn't it? It was was a very Yes, it was short um, compared to the impact. Well, like for the size of the impact he had on the show, yeah, it was quite yeah. short. Yeah, that's right. And he obviously had a massive, ex- massive um, exposure very early on. And- yeah, whereas Jerry Seinfeld was kind of known as being an occasional performer on like The Tonight Show and that sort of thing. But he wasn't really known to us in Australia, at least. Certainly not, no. Not yeah, until, until uh, you know, the early... Because, I mean, we only really got Seinfeld from 92 onwards here. Yeah, so you're looking at almost a 10-year gap in their yeah. kind of careers, really. Um, and the other interesting thing is, you know, that um, in that the episode itself goes for 45 minutes. So, you know, there's a lot of sort of Jerry doing a lot of very, you know, he really likes talking about the stand-up comedy aspect of it. So it's really great hearing Eddie mm. talk about it. Um, Eddie Murphy's two stand-up specials, Raw and Delirious, were like, you know, absolutely integral to my childhood. And um, <laughs> watching them now is terrifying in a way that uh, to think of the things that we used to laugh at as um, sub-10-year-olds uh, is really kind of scary in the context of today's uh, attitude to a lot of that stuff. And it's also, I mean, I think it's also got a lot to do with why he kind of hasn't come back in the last 10 years, at least. He also had, you know, Eddie had another, had some other uh, skeletons in his closet that got, revi- <laughs> that got laid, you know, which seemed to slow his career down at the time, but also in today's uh, climate seemed quite minor uh, indiscretions, really. Mm. But um, 
yeah, I, I for one am very excited to see Eddie come back. I'd really like to see uh, him do Beverly Hills Cop Four. No, I'm just <laughs> of course I of course I am. But I think it's going it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how it pans out with the um, Netflix specials that I believe he's doing. Yeah. and the other things. But he's also doing Coming to America too. Is that really happening? It's the thing that's happening. Wow, yeah, well, that's amazing. Obviously not with John Landis, I can imagine. I wouldn't uh, imagine. I, I wouldn't expect so. Which is another really, you know, another timely kind of thing that's popped out is that in conversation about John Landis and um, I think it was a Playboy magazine article mm. um, about uh, the horror of working with John Landis uh, during, uh, well, what was it for? For um, Coming to America. And then um, was, was the movie that I think Eddie uh, had to argue to get John on and then... John was still just a total joke about it. And then they still did Beverly Hills Cop 3 for some reason. Yeah, anyway, I for one am very grateful to have Eddie coming back and it was good to see. It was a nice little... It was a nice little soft intro to his comeback, I think. Having him next to Jerry, who loves him and was very much uh, interested in in all his stuff. Yeah. Uh, They're fascinating conversations when they work well. Uh, So that's comedians in cars, getting coffee. Oh, there's also the other thing I wanted to say. When you actually fire up Netflix and, you know, you get the auto previews that you can't do anything about, (laughs) there's there's, uh, there's this sarcastic vitriolic spray that Jerry Seinfeld does about all the shows that have ripped him off with his amazingly brilliant comedians in cars, getting coffee, such as, you know, like the carpool karaoke and just a whole other rattles off about 25 shows. He still still can't help being like a a bitter man. It's very funny. Here's the thing. Pre-comedians and cars getting coffee being a thing. I do remember doing a podcast, my former podcast, Televised Revolution, with myself and my two co-hosts at the time, Simon and Dennis, driving around and doing the podcast. There you go. So, Jerry, come on, get your hand off it. Get your hand off it, Jerry. Dan, what have you been watching? I've been watching a show called Veronica Mars Season 4. Oh, my God. I spent my first 19 years trying to escape my hometown of Neptune. Made it out. Then after a decade away... Decided Neptune needed me, and I needed it. I was wrong on both counts. Chris Yates, are you someone who's watched the Veronica Mars? Uh, I could, I no. I think you'd probably be, you'd probably dig it a bit more than you think you would. Maybe. It's not quite the show you think it is. So this is a show that came around it. The original incarnation of it was 2004 through 2007. When it initially launched, a lot of people, and by a lot of people, myself <laughs> is largely what I'm thinking here, I saw it as little more than an attempt to try to do like a sort of more grounded Buffy. And that's probably fairly true. It was quite clearly degree. a Buffy ripoff like, at it's the suddenly, time. Yeah, like the inspiration for it kind of came from this sort of, you know, Buffy era thing. So Buffy was probably about season five or six, I think. So near the end of its run. Right. But then you got the show, which wasn't really quite as funny and I didn't think was quite as smart. But in retrospect, I actually think I was a little bit off base with it because the show itself was something which is not really playing around with the teen drama, which is what Buffy was doing, but rather this was trying to tell a story about classic sort of detective story, but like with a teenage girl as like the protagonist. Like noir? Like very noir-ish and played around with this... (laughs) Played around with the tropes, but not really overtly. Like, I don't quite even want to use the word noir, because it's certainly... It's a dark detective program, but also it probably played more with sort of teen tropes than it did... Yeah, sure. Like, the noir tropes. It's an interesting production. Hmm. Uh, That show ran for three seasons and then got cancelled. There was a TV movie made in 2014, funded by Kickstarter. 
The movie, terrible. <laughs> Imagine that. Essentially, what happened was you got this TV series that ran for three years, and the first series is sort of fairly dark and plays around with some really nasty themes in it. So part of the... It's a murder mystery for that first season, and you've got Veronica talking about how she'd been raped by someone and didn't know who it was. And Yikes. So this is like some really like meaty material that you wouldn't find on most of these sort of teen kids' dramas at the time. Certainly. So there was a lot more going on with it than you know other shows of its ilk. As that show went on, though, you had the introduction of various sort of love interests for her along the way, and some of them more charming than others or whatever. So much in the same way as on, like, the Gilmore Girls, you got, like, your team sort of Logans and, you know, all those sort of scenes. Veronica Mars kind of had that same sort of thing going as well. And to me, like, that was always kind of detrimental, because what really worked about that first season was that it kind of had a few cutesy-ish moments, but the show wasn't really a cutesy show. But as the show went on, I just like embraced a little bit more of what I think you probably think the show is. Yeah, yeah. Even though sure. like the third season of it, it's still pretty good, but it's you know it's definitely more in line with what you think the show is. Yeah, to right. what it actually was. TV movie came along, and I call it a TV movie just to be dismissive. <laughs> uh, essentially, it was just pure, good. just like fan nonsense. Was this one of the first Kickstarter kind of bring our uh, dreams was, back to life? It was definitely one of the first sort of things really leaning on fans to yeah, make right. it a reality. And yeah. uh, then just like a fan campaign of sending like, yeah. you know, Tabasco sauce bottles. So the fans actually paid for it, basically. Fans actually paid for it. And then there was a whole lot of um, issues with Warner Brothers in a way that were giving fans the film that they'd paid for and... It was a whole thing. But anyway, the film, it's just fan service wank. I did not care for it. Sure. And it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth, even thinking about the fact that I contributed <laughs> enough money to my <laughs> digital download and a t-shirt. Uh, but Have you t- still got the t-shirt? Yeah, I do. Oh, cool. I'll wear it in next week. Excellent. The TV series came along for season four and I was very apprehensive. I'd seen this TV movie and I'm just like, there is no way this is really going to get back to anything. I really like season four of this program. Wow. Fans generally haven't been that keen on it because the show has stripped away a lot of the fan wank that was in the TV movie. Sure. And a lot of that means that you don't have much emphasis at all on the supporting characters that were built up around her world. While most of them are still in the show and like they might be in it for like a scene or two here and there, they're not really a presence in the show. They've really stripped the show back to being about Veronica Mars, um, now like early 30s detective, maybe mid 30s trying to work out where she is exactly uh you've got that you've got her dad keith of whom was a heavy presence in the first series and then her boyfriend logan and that's pretty much it in terms of main cast uh you've got a whole bunch Hmm. of like other people appearing throughout it Patton oswald is a regular uh, character through it uh you've got jk simmons in it and so you're just you're just trying to get me to watch it now the show itself is structured to try to get you to watch it chris It's eight episodes, and it really just deals with the mystery that's taken place where they live in this town called Neptune. It's a Southern Californian town by the sea, a uh, really sort of big beach sort of culture around it, and obviously it's a magnet for spring break. So spring break's currently taking place, and there's an explosion that takes place at the local motel. And we know the motel because she's a private detective, so we've regularly seen scenes of her with the long lens camera out taking photos of, of course. you know, people in there. So it's a well-known scene to Veronica Mars viewers, and it gets exploded up in the first episode. And so it's basically who's exploding, like who's created that explosion, and the many other explosions that take place in the couple of episodes that follow. Cool. Yeah. So anyway, it's explosions it's are good. J.K. Yeah. Simmons is good. There's J.K. two things. So, the question is probably, is the show worth watching if you've never watched it before? 
And I would say to those viewers, I don't know why you would watch season four of the program and not just go back to season one of the show. Mm. But if you've got a loved one in your house where maybe you hadn't watched Veronica Mars with them before and they just want to watch Veronica Mars, you can sit down and you'll totally understand what's going on. You'll have a good time with it. But, you know, there's probably definitely certainly character quirks that would be a bit more beneficial mm. if you had seen other stuff. But it's not necessary. You'll still get it. What if I just watched season four and then it would be like, go back and watch the other three and it'd all be just like flashbacks? You could. You <laughs> totally can do Would that. that work that way? Great. Uh, I should say that the theme song to the show was for the TV series. It was uh, used to be, We Used to Be Friends by the Denny Warhols. Oh, great song. Yeah. Uh, they've decided to do away with that for the new series. And instead, it's a cover version of that song by Chrissy Hind. Yeah, right. Probably yeah. a much m- more affordable cover version of it. Look, possibly. But also, I don't know. I wasn't that big a fan of it until I found out it was Chrissy Hind. And now I want to listen back to it. Yeah. Well, that's... Yeah. Uh, cool. How do I watch it again? I know you said uh, this already. in Australia is on Stan, but in the US you can find it on the Hulu. Stan and on Stan, and uh, all of the episodes are out already. All eight episodes, and it was supposed to only come out later this week, but because of Comic Con on the weekend, they decided ah. to do a surprise drop and took up a good chunk of my weekend. Excellent, mm. Chris Yates. You've watched some stuff. What else? <laughs> I have watched another thing. Uh, I have watched uh, an, a fantastic sitcom called Year of the Rabbit. Bloody Nora! I'll just call you French lady. It's pretty hard for a sitcom to get past me. I don't know what this is, Chris. Ah, really? This is excellent. Well, it's probably because it's British, and I know how you feel about uh, the British, not the Brits. Uh, and uh, it's. <laughs> Following my theme of the last however many shows I've done, uh, stars Matt Berry, an actor you may be familiar with from the um, TV series of What We Do in the Shadows. Have you watched that yet? But <laughs> yes, yeah, I go. have seen yeah, it, so, seen and it was very good. It's very good. So this is a, this is a screen. Uh, you know, it's almost running simultaneously uh, as that show. But that show, of course, is an American production, I believe, mm-hmm. and this is a straight up British production. It is. I'm going to read the blurb because it's just very funny. Set in the dark heart of Victorian London. Detective Inspector Rabbit is a hardened booze hound who's seen it all. Rabbit's been chasing bad guys for as long as he can remember, but these days he keeps st- <laughs> his heart keeps stopping at inopportune moments. So it's a very simple concept. It's a period comedy. What period? Uh, like Victorian England, I guess. That's good um, enough. And um, it's... Uh, just it's very very funny to be honest the first episode i think after watching it after um sorry chris i'm already sold what we do in the shadows um which is amazing like the first one i was kind of like oh yeah this is matt barry being matt barry it's maybe Mm. not which is you know fine um i mean a lot more than fine which is all i really want to watch out of television so of course i'm going to watch it uh repeated repeated repetitively but by the second and third episode i was laughing out loud uh and really getting into the con uh, the concept of it the other uh main actors are fantastic um there is freddie fox as detective sergeant wilbur strauss and uh the actual you know probably the performance is nearly as good as um berries himself is susan uh, wakoma as um she plays the adopted uh daughter of the um police inspector who just wants to be a cop and of course he doesn't want her to be a cop because she should be a lady but she's very very good and I think she's still a lady if she's a cop <laughs> she kind of well not not back in not Victorian a capital, not, not a capital L lady not in Victorian England of course and um, there hadn't actually been any female police according to the show <laughs> at that stage um, and yeah of course you know like uh, actually does most of the solving and beating up people because she's much better than the as usual 
quite <laughs> incompetent Matt Berry um, playing Matt Berry. So it's uh, it's very, very good. It's a bit darker than Toast. It's a bit more linear and a bit more, um, you know, settling around its story. In each episode, of course, there's a little mystery they have to solve with some grisly murders in oldie London town. So if he's got a new series, does that mean no more Toast of London? Well... Because there was only two seasons of that There's show? three... And we are getting a fourth, apparently. So okay. this is good news for Matt Berry fans and myself. That's um, good news, even though I still haven't seen a good chunk of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just uh, only very recent. I think I'm. I think I'm right that there's four. That, that there's three already. Yes, he very. There wasn't going to be a. Um, there wasn't going to be a new one, but uh, common sense. Yes, thank God, common sense has prevailed, and we are getting. One more toast. Let me just let me just double check. Uh, so it's just like it's Matt Berry's time. He's just all over the place. Everything he's doing is hitting in a big way, and I couldn't be happier for him. Fantastic. Uh, and is there a way for people in Australia to watch this program? I don't know if there's anywhere in Australia to watch it, but it is on the Channel Four in the UK at the moment. So I'm sure it won't be too far until we get it here. Fantastic. Oh yes, one more, Dan. Yeah. Are you going to do another thing about what you've been watching? Yeah, sure. What have you been watching, Dan? <laughs> Okay, so I did not expect to enjoy this program anywhere near as much as I did. Oh my god. It's a series produced for Foxtel Australia called Lambs of God. I was led to believe the property was uninhabited. Why is he here? You want us to leave? But I've never been outside. It's almost a new millennium, sister. The church has moved on. Chris, that befuddled look on your face indicates to me that you're saying, what's a foxtail? (laughs) And also, what's a Lambs of God? Who is this foxtail you speak of? So, Lambs of God is a four-episode drama series. It stars Anne Dowd. You'd know her from the US. Mm -hmm. A whole bunch of really good things, including Handmaid's Tale. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's amazing. Uh, I actually met her when she was in town filming Lambs of God, and she was lovely. Could not find a nice lady. Did she like you? Uh, I think she got along with me reasonably okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, Essie Davis is in it. Uh, she, you might know her as like Franny Fisher from the Franny uh, Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries on the ABC. Definitely don't. Okay. Well, anyway, she's beloved. People really <laughs> like her. I know. People love this. Uh, she's Fisher, also the female lead of the Babadook. Oh. Well, You've seen that? Yeah, yeah. There you yeah. go. Of course. Yeah. Incredible film. And also it's got Jessica Barton, who is a younger actress in I'm guessing maybe early 20s. Uh, she is probably known to you, Chris, from being the female lead of The End of the Fucking World which was the Netflix series from about two years ago that caught lots of people's attention. No. Ah, see, I thought you would watch the British show. It's quite good. I think you'd probably get a kick out of it. So is there any Australian people in this Australian show? Essie Davis. Okay. Uh, There's also a guy in it who's a young priest. Now, this is a story. It's about the Sisters of St. Agnes, which is a Tasmanian... Um, church chapel type thing. It's mm-hmm. not like it's a proper church, like a real congregation. It's really like these three weirdo nuns who are living out in the middle of nowhere in Tasmania. Kind of like that church you, you tried to start in Adelaide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly the same, Chris. <laughs> so these three weirdo nuns and not much is going on. They're just living their life. Uh, the nun played by Essie Davis, she seems to have visions of things going on. Okay, and we see that at the beginning where she has a vision of uh, like a lamb that needs to be slaughtered and so they murder this lamb. Mm. So there's this amazing scene where they've just like blood let this lamb and <clears throat> it's really bloodthirsty because they're sort of drinking like the sort of part of the blood and so they're kind of like blood smeared all over their faces when suddenly this priest turns up 
Okay, completely unexpected. He just comes wandering through and is like a young, you know, hunky priest. <laughs> anyway, he rocks up and because it's a priest, they have to attend to him and, you know, offer him like a place to stay for the night. A glass of warm blood. You know, warm, delicious blood. <laughs> so anyway, like the priest is there for the night and they don't have anything to do because they're in the middle of nowhere and yeah. they have electricity. It's like a... Before whatever. Netflix. Pre-Netflix. So the nuns, they pass their time by telling stories to each other. So Anne Dowd tells a story to, you know, post-dinner, like, you know, it's story time. So she tells the story of Beauty and the Beast, but it's like this weird sort of warped version of Beauty and the Beast. And in her version of it, you've got the... Because... Uh, do you remember Beauty and the Beast? Mm. Yeah. Uh, essentially, at the end of it, where the beauty falls in love with the beast, um, her version has it that the dad ends up coming back and buys back beauty from the beast and wow. has like a large pot of money. And so then just buys the beauty back and that's the end of the story. And the priest is like, that's not really how it happens. <laughs> and Is that more or less disturbing than the way it actually plays out? Hard to say. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but ultimately, what's kind of interesting about it is that you've got the story where she's telling a a fable a fantasy about a man who comes and rescues like this young woman away by you know buying them out and you've got this priest of whom is turned up and what they don't quite realize as she's telling the story is that the priest is actually there with the idea they're going to sell the land Ah. and so her retelling of beauty and the beast is actually fairly um, apt for what's really about to take place Ah. which is he's turned up with the idea that hey look you've got these three weirdo nuns but we're going to buy back the land we're going to sell it to do something which you don't find out in the first episode what it is just yet they're going to sell the land and with that money the nuns will be able to live in a much better series of quarters you Mm -hmm. know they'll be looked after Uh, the endowed nun is obviously getting on in years so they can get a nurse to like tend to her health issues and so it'll actually be fairly beneficial to them so he's actually the you know knight in shining armor to a certain degree that she's kind of fantasizing about but doesn't really acknowledge it so anyway you got these three weirdo nuns who want to stop this guy from selling like their land and so they start resorting to some uh, somewhat interesting measures to stop him from getting away. I actually, that, that sounds very interesting. Yeah, it is. And it's really great performances. It's a gorgeous looking program. My only quibble with the program is that the show was shot in the Blue Mountains as well as like a bit past Wollongong, New South Wales. Not quite Tasmania. Not quite Tasmania. And it doesn't look like Tasmania. So it's gorgeous looking and it looks a little bit chilly, but it doesn't look really cold and just like punishingly cold. So a couple of years ago, Foxtel had a series called The Kettering Incident. Mm -hmm. And when you look at that show, like it looks so blisteringly cold. Like it is, like you you feel it. Like it's just, you know, ice is dripping off your fingers holding the remote control in your hand. Like it's, it's there. This show just kind of feels chilly, like, oh, I might get a parker now. <laughs> right. Like, it's just not quite the same. So, I kind of felt that if the show looked cold, if it actually looked just as weird as the nuns in the show actually are, like, it's probably missing that sort of visual spark Yeah, sure. But despite that, like, it still looks magnificent. Like, it's a great looking show. It's interesting that we learned recently that they shot Young Einstein at New- in Newcastle <laughs> as well, which was also set in um, in Tasmania. Why, why, why is it so hard to film in Tasmania? It's a mystery for the ages. You'd think it'd be cheap. Yeah. Well, the funding for this, I think, had a bit of Screen New South Wales money in it. So of course. That makes some course. sense. Yeah. Uh, that's but excellent. Anyway, it's really good. I strongly recommend people check it out. And I've only seen the first episode. It may start to fall as a pot after episode one, but it's got so much promise to it. Ooh. So do you have... Uh, that's interesting that you're that into it after one episode. Usually you'll yeah. come in with after a couple well, more. Well, it's only a four-parter as well. So, you know, that's a good 25% of the 
run already. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, so you can find that on Foxtel in Australia, and it is selling really well internationally as well. So if you're outside of Australia, you'll probably be able to find it very soon. Thanks, Dan. It's been a pleasure to join you on this podcast once again. <laughs> it's pleasure's all mine. <laughs>